Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, ESPN and Arizona Cardinals announcer Dave Pash. My guest this week is Mike Golick, one of the top broadcasters of all time. He's in the Radio Broadcasting Hall of Fame for the terrific show that he did all those years for ESPN with Mike Greenberg, simply known as Mike and Mike. Golick is still going strong in broadcasting, whether it's calling games, hosting a podcast, appearing on television. We're going to get into that, along with his thoughts on the Cardinals' opponent this week, Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts. Jalen has been fantastic. Now, Jalen's not going to be a 40-touchdown guy. But if he can get like to the low 20s and touchdown to mid-20s and keep it at single-digit interceptions with the running game they have going in the defense, they can go far. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. Get ready for a football season like never before with BetMGM, an official partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Sign up today using code CARDS1000 and get your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 and over, Arizona only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 next step all right time to talk with former philadelphia eagle and a broadcasting legend mike golick well first of all mike tell me what it's like to be a grandfather wow let me tell you it's it's everybody says it's the greatest thing because you can just give the kid back you know if he throws up or if he messes up his diaper and I found that to be the truth right now. Now, I imagine at some point I'm going to have to change a diaper. But, like, I did all my kids. I changed their diapers all the time. You know, all the all the things that go along with having a kid, I did. But with the grandpa- grandkid, I feel it's my responsibility to let my son and daughter-in-law experience all the joys, ups and downs of parenthood, which includes cleaning up their throw-up and their poop. So that's why I give the kid back to them all the time. I can't wait till my kids have to deal with the exploding diaper, the one where it comes uh, up the back and goes the back, all the way through exactly. the clothes. Exactly. And, and, and they both have. They tell us. I mean, we have our, our, our group texts. They're like, oh, Jack's just exploded all the way up the back. And we're like, man, you remember those things? It's just, it's just horrific. It's like you just got to douse them in the sink or something. But I'm glad they're experiencing it. I don't need to experience that anymore. Do you remind your son, Mike, who you work with now? It's crazy, and you worked with at ESPN. Uh, do you remind him of those days? Does he have any memories of any of that stuff? No, no. I mean, there there was a time when both of them were still in diapers, and they were playing, and I was watching them. And obviously, as a dad watching – two young kids I was watching TV more and they proceeded to take their diapers off of which they had filled up and finger paint one another with their poop (laughs) so it was it was an experience that I paid the price for because I wasn't watching them close enough but no they they don't they don't remember all the way back to that stuff yeah hell we're still trying to get Mike a a wife and into the into fatherdom as well you know he's our oldest Jake and Sydney are both married Jake has a kid my wife is spending her days, you know, trying to get Mikey hooked up. Yeah, Mike is, is also the most active uh, Golik on Twitter, I think, yes. uh, based on yes, he is. all the go- – I follow most of the Goliks, uh, and I think he's the most active. Um, I want to ask you, Mike, about your, your career post-ESPN. Not surprisingly, you are very busy and very successful. 
Uh, you are in the Broadcast Hall of Fame. You had arguably the greatest talk show in the history of talk radio, and you did it for more than two decades with Mike and Mike. Tell our listeners all the things that you are doing now post-ESPN. Well, you know, last year was the first year out. You know, the last games I had done at ESPN were with you, you know, and I, I obviously enjoyed doing the games with you. Like that, that was when I finished uh, at ESPN, and then we, we've, we've done some subsequent to that as well. Um, but now, you know, last year, my first year out of ESPN, I really kind of wanted to find out, okay, what did I want to do? Somebody approached me about starting my own podcast company, and I thought, man, do I want to go down that road? You know, if I was 10, 15 years younger, maybe I would. So I hemmed and hawed with that. I'm doing a little more with, with you know, Levitard's group with Metal Arc and with Stu Gott, so I keep busy with that. Um, I did college games for Learfield and NFL games for Westwood One. So I was kind of, you know, double gaming in on the weekends, which turned out to be a little too much, but I was kind of seeing which direction I wanted to go. Um, and then I, I signed the deal with DraftKings, like my son Mike did as well when, when uh, he chose that over, over ESPN. DraftKings gave him a real nice deal. So we worked together there. So I just decided, you know, we'll do that. And then I have, uh, you know, half the year I live here in South Bend, you know, at Notre Dame. And we have season tickets to the Notre Dame games. And my wife's like, why don't you enjoy that? You know, you worked a long time. You know, you've been away a lot of weekends. Why don't you enjoy the fact that we're here and can go to the game? So I did. I, I, I'm not calling the college game. So I'm just doing the Westwood One NFL games. I do a podcast for uh, DraftKings, and I do a stupidity with two gods. God bless football with two gods. And, and that's enough for me right now. If, if there's more down the line, I'll see. Uh, but right now, I'm kind of good with it. I almost, I almost, Dave, got back into morning radio, which would have been – would or it was actually would have been morning TV – um, but that that was an iffy thing if I want to get up that early again. Can you share what it was, or you maybe you don't have to give all the details, but would that have been an... I, I probably can't, I probably can't share fully okay. what it was, but I would have had to, I would have had to move and it was it wasn't radio at all. It was a morning sports TV show that it just, it just didn't work out. It was all amicable and everything. but the the toughest part about it from been talking to my wife, I was like, gee, she's going you be able to get this 415 again. Now, if, obviously, I'm almost 60. It wouldn't have been, you know, for 20 years this time around. But I've kind of gotten used to sleeping until 738 o'clock. So that early wake up call would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that we have done some games together since 2020. We did two games or three, I think, together for Westwood One last year. And yep. you and I saw each other in person more then than we did in 2020 when we worked together every week. It was insane. The first time we actually saw each other in person was at the Fiesta Bowl. All the games we right. did during the college football season, and we were doing pretty big games. Michigan, Penn State, we had Notre Dame a couple times. And you're in the studio in Bristol, and I'm in my house. I remember putting up a sign on Halloween outside our front door, which was next to my office where the broadcast studio was, saying, please do not ring the doorbell during these hours because I'm on the air. <laughs> like, if you need a trick-or-treat, just grab as much candy as you want. I left it out there so people wouldn't bang on the door and ring the doorbell. What was your biggest takeaway from that experience in that season? My biggest takeaway was the fear that your Wi-Fi would go out which I think it did one time for a short time, and I would be left alone to do like play-by-play -play and color. That was my fear. Um, I, that was the biggest fear that, that I had was 
was because you were in your house. I was at least at the studios in, in Bristol. So, I mean, I had tons of monitors. I had everything that I needed outside of not being there. And our, we should say our sideline person was at the game. They got to be physically at the game. Um, but that was probably it, that you doing it from your house and all the, the, the negative possibilities that could happen when you're trying to run a national broadcast, TV broadcast, from your house. I mean, that, that, was, that, that was pretty wild. But it was crazy that we worked the whole season together, and the first time we saw each other was my last game uh, at ESPN. But uh, it was still a lot of fun. I mean, you know, our job was to call it like we were there, and I think we did a pretty good job of that. Yeah, I think so. A lot of people had no idea, first of all, that we weren't there. And then second, they yeah. had no idea that you and I, one of us was in Phoenix, the other was in Bristol, <laughs> Connecticut. And to your point, I'm yeah, using I, internet. So, and it, I remember yes. it went down, and you had to do play by play. And I think it was a Notre, like Notre Dame, Georgia Tech at like three thirty on ABC with five million people watching. Yep, that's exactly what it was. I remember the producer getting in my ear and say, "With Dave lost his wife." I'm like, "No," I'm like, <laughs> "Come on." So they said, "You know, just go when we come back," and I just kind of did. And luckily, it wasn't for long. But yeah. man, yeah, that that's something I I would not have needed. But that. That was, again, I'm in a big studio, you're in your house, and God knows you can have issues in there. And I don't, because you did a lot out of your house, and I don't know how many times you had issues with it, but that was a, that was a wild, wild time trying to do games. Out. Yeah, I, well, I did a ton of NBA and college basketball from my yeah. house. And as you know, Mike, I work with Bill Walton on college basketball, and actually there was one time where he accidentally turned me down so nothing had happened to my internet, but he thought it did. So he just started talking and didn't stop oh. for like 10 minutes. I'm trying to get his attention. Like, my mic's working. I'm on the air. But he, he couldn't hear me. So anyway, it was, uh, it was quite the year. I'm glad that's over with. I'm glad we're back yeah. on site. Uh, I want to get into your thoughts on the Cardinals, on the Eagles, on the NFL. But I first want to go back to, since the Cardinals are playing the Eagles, that's one of the reasons I wanted to get you on. You spent six years in Philadelphia – and I knew and I had talked about some of the stuff, just our, our rides to the stadium last year for Westwood right. and just chatting on the phone. What are your, what are your fondest memories of being a Philadelphia Eagle? You know, I, I, I quite honestly, I love the fans. And it was, and I had a real stark contrast with the next team I went to that, that, that I'll get to. But I, I mean, we know they're a little bit nuts. They know, we know they can get a little bit out of hand. Now, when I was there, it was the old vet where the people up in the 700 level, they, you know, they, they do some, they can do some pretty crazy things. Sometimes they're not real nice to uh, uh, people who wear the other team's Jersey when they come in to watch a game. So there are some things that they go a little too far, but I love their passion. They appreciate hard play. It's like a blue collar type situation. And as long as you're, you're, you're busting your butt for them, they'll appreciate that. And, and, you know, this was before I was in Philly, before free agency. My last year in the league was the first year of free agency when I ended up in Miami. So players couldn't move as easily. So we had a, we had a really great, we had a great defense, but, but we were together and nobody was really leaving. So we became really good friends as well as teammates. So that, that was really a cool thing to me is, is a lot of times, you know, I played nine years and you have like people who you're, were, were teammates with, you're associated with, but you're not really friends. Well, I had, a good amount of friends uh, that I still keep in touch with today that were on the Eagles team. And, and I think a lot of it is the time we spent together, the number of years we're all together because it was a lack, you know, there was no free agency. And then that first year of free agency, 11 of us were free agents. 
and all 11 of us went somewhere else because Norman Brayman, the owner of the Eagles, didn't want to re-sign anybody. He was, a, he was an absentee owner. He only cared about the bottom line. He was never in Philly. And that was the year, if anybody remembers, the biggest free agent. The first one was Reggie White, who went to Green Bay, and they subsequently won a Super Bowl there. Think about that. This was 93. I think his deal was in total, I think, $17 million hmm. in total hmm. for Reggie White. <laughs> you know, put that, obviously, in today and in, in what he would have made. But in Philly, I mean – no matter what, I mean, they, they cheered hard for us. And they booed you if you, were, if you weren't very good, and, and I understood that. I went to Miami, Dave, the next year in 93. We were 9-2 and two at one point, had the best record in all of football, and we were blacked out locally because we couldn't sell the stadium out. Hmm. So, you know, there was, there was a big difference in the, the heartfelt emotion in Philly and the apathy that was in Miami. You mentioned Reggie White. I, I wasn't going to go here, but I am curious your take on this. People talk about Aaron Donald being mm-hmm. the best defensive player of all time. And, and Wolf, who I work with, played against Lawrence Taylor. And he says it wasn't close. Nothing against Aaron Donald, but Lawrence Taylor. And I don't know that enough people remember how good Reggie White was. I mean, you played on the same defensive line with him. When people say Aaron Donald's the best defensive player of all time, what's your reaction? Well, my, my reaction is, listen, I, I, people are certainly, certainly um, entitled to their opinion. Because I've been asked this, and here, here's the way I put it. Reggie White's the greatest D-lineman I've ever seen play. Uh, Lawrence Taylor's the greatest linebacker I've ever seen play. One of the, and Aaron Donald is certainly up, in that, up in, in that category. The thing about Reggie is you had a 6'6", 315-pound freak who ran a 4'6", 40, lifted all the weights in the world, and could line up anywhere on the defensive line. He could line up on an end, on a guard, on a center. Anywhere, right side, left side, it didn't matter, and he would get the job done. He had a quick step. Aaron Donald, so this is the way I put it. Even in the Hall of Fame, there are different rooms. There's the hierarchy, even in the Hall of Fame. Reggie White and and Lawrence Taylor are in a special room in the Hall of Fame. Aaron Donald will be in that room. Now, I I still will say that from a D. Lyman standpoint, I would choose Reggie uh, over Aaron Donald, but again, Whenever you say that, people are like, oh, you don't like Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is one of the greatest of all time. I think Reggie, you know, I would pick Reggie over Aaron Donald, but I put them in that same room as far as head and shoulders above a lot of the other greats that were in this game. I'm trying to remember. I mean, your people don't realize how tall you are until they see you in person. I think you're listed at 6'5", but I feel like you're taller. Yeah. And when you played, you were probably, what, 285, 290? I yeah, I, I got in the league at 280 and left at about 300, yeah. So you had you and Reggie White standing next to each other, both basically at 6'6", 300 pounds. That's, right. that's pretty good. What's your favorite Reggie White story? I think you told me about one where an opposing player was MFing Reggie White, which guys didn't do, and I think his teammates warned him, don't do that, it's just going to get him going. Oh. I don't know if that's the story or if you have another one you remember. No, I mean, it, it, was a, it was in a preseason game, and the tackle after a play, you know, Reggie said, quit holding me, you know, just in Reggie style, and the, and the dude started MFing him. And, and Reggie was, uh, people, if they don't know, was an ordained, ordained minister at 17 years old, and he didn't mind you swearing, but don't swear at him. And everybody knew it. Nobody swore at him. But, but this guy was cussing him up and down. And, we, and it's a preseason game, so it doesn't count. And we were all like, Oh my God, what, what, what is this guy? Even the guy's teammates were like, dude, what are you doing? 
So they broke the huddle on the next play, and I looked at the guard across from me, and I said, dude, I'm not doing nothing this play. I'm watching. He said, so are we. (laughs) (laughs) You had the other four old linemen, me and my other uh, compatriots on the D-line. We basically got in a stance where we could just look that way and just watch Reggie basically, we call him putting him on skates, got his hands into the dude's chest and basically lifted him and took him back, and he sacked the quarterback with the lineman. He threw the lineman into the quarterback and sacked him as we were all standing there watching and then just looked at the guy and said, don't you ever cuss me again. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, wow. I mean, dude, that movie had, you know, the rip and the hump where he rips and then brings the arm out and just kind of tosses players. It's unreal. When you see an offensive lineman go, go horizontal, because of the leverage and strength Reggie used to throw him, it, it's almost frightening. The Eagles right now, the 2022 Philadelphia Eagles, based on what I – they look like, if not one of the best teams, the best team in the NFL through the first quarter of a season. I don't know how much you've had a chance to watch because I know you're working, but you do have to be abreast of what's going on with, with other teams. And obviously the Eagles have a special place in your heart. Are they the best team right now in football? Yes, I think they are because they're the most balanced. I mean, we keep talking about Jalen Hurts and getting A.J. Brown and what Devontae Smith is doing, and that old line is one of the best in the league, and they have a great running game to go with it. Their defense is playing incredibly well, I think, by yards. I think they're, like, top three. I think they're third. I mean, they're, that, that's why I think they're the best, because they're balanced. The defense can help keep them in games, and the offense can control the ball. You know, there were two quarterbacks we talked about before the season, Jalen and Tua, you know, uh, as to can these guys grab a hold of this team and be the quarterback of the future for these teams. And right now, both have been proven like they can do it. And Jalen, I know Tua is injured right now, uh, but Jalen has been has been fantastic. Now, Jalen's not going to be a 40-touchdown guy, but if he can get, like, to the low 20s and touchdown to mid-20s and keep it at single-digit interceptions, with the running game they have going in the defense, they can go far. Their biggest thing, and I'm sure the fans are even understand, is that old line occasionally gets injured. And if that starts to happen, that could be trouble for them because when they're healthy, that old line is damn good. I, I did a lot of Jalen Hurts games when he was in college. Did him when he played quarterback at Alabama, and then when he got beat out by Tua and benched in the national championship game, the next year he, he played some running back. And then he yeah. went to Oklahoma following Kyler Murray, who had followed Baker Mayfield. I don't know that anybody, including the Eagles, saw Jalen Hurts playing this well, and maybe, to your point, it's because they're balanced. D- did you see this coming from Jalen Hurts? No, no, I, I, I did not. I, I was, you know, we, we had talked about, you know, the best teams in the, in the country in college, you know, us both are do, doing college has been like, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and that. And, and when then we talk about the, the, the quarterbacks that were leaving or, or from Ohio State and Alabama going into the NFL. And I brought up, you know, that this is back even before these guys came out when I actually was doing radio and TV. I was like, name me the last Ohio State quarterback or Alabama quarterback that went high in the draft and actually turned out to be great. I mean, you have to go back a long way. Now we have Justin Fields. We'll see where he goes. Still too early to tell, and that's a, that's a bad offense right now in Chicago. You have Tua. You have Jalen. So let's see where these guys go. But for the longest time, 
some of the best teams in college that would bring quarterbacks into a you know high draft pick were not panning out at all in the NFL. And I definitely had my doubts about both Tua and Jalen. I wasn't sure. You know, so it was like, okay, how are they going to be coached in the NFL, and what kind of weapons will you have around them? Well, we see the weapons that both teams brought in, both Miami and uh, Philadelphia, that have helped the quarterbacks, and they've helped themselves. So, yes, it's 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 been a little more surprising than I thought. But man, I'm I'm a former player. I always want the player to to succeed, even if, in my opinion, I'm not sure they're going to. Hell, prove me wrong. I mean, I I hope you play great. And Jalen has certainly taken advantage of it. Kyler Murray against Baker Mayfield this past week with Kyler beating the man that he replaced. And now Jalen Hurts, who replaced Kyler Murray against Kyler here this Sunday. Kyler against the Raiders almost single-handedly wins the game in overtime. Played a great second half against Carolina. The Cardinals, prior to the third quarter against Carolina, had not led in regulation. Yet here they are at 2-2. Two and two. What's your take on the Cardinals through four games? And specifically, what's your take on Kyler Murray? Man, I'm, I'm telling you, Dave, I, I, we, you know, we talk obviously in the podcast that, that I do. The other ones I do talk a lot of NFL. And I do an NFL preview show for Westwood One. So we talk about every team every week. They're one of the biggest enigmas to me. I, I had the toughest time figuring them out. There are times Kyler Murray looks like he did last week, throwing for two, running for one, being the man. And there's other times you're like, what the hell is he doing? What is he looking at out there? I can't figure that out. And I know they gave him the big money, so you know he is, he is the guy. I get it. But, but they're, they're a team to me. I, have a, I, have a tough, I guess I'll put it this way. I have a tough time trusting them to be the team I think they can be. I think they should be better than they are. And at times they look it. And at times they don't. So when you do that, what do you end up? You end up 500. You end up a little like, no, you can't, 17 games, a little over 500. And we've seen them, we've seen them implode at the end of the season. You know, those last handful of games just struggle. So when they came out of the gate struggling a little bit, I'm sure the fans are like, oh, no. You know, sure. you know we, we do this at the end of the season. We're usually really good at the beginning of the season. So that, that's that been my take on, on them, Dave. I mean, I, I'm – I'm trying to get a grasp of what I think they are, and I, I'm having a tough time. And, and it really starts with Kyler Murray because at times you're like, wow. And then at times you're like, oh, oh boy. So I, I'm not sure where it's going to end up on a consistent level. The defense has played lights out, and it's it wasn't that way early. But the last right. couple games in particular, Vance Joseph, who's an excellent coordinator, I think is getting used to the pieces he has and, and where to put them to be successful. And one of those pieces is a guy the Cardinals drafted in the first round last year out of Tulsa at linebacker, Zayvon Collins. And it seems like he's making strides and starting to get more and more comfortable. As someone that played defense in the NFL, and I know the era is different, but I mean, you, you have been watching football for a long time and you're watching multiple games every week. Is that normal for, for, for an inside linebacker who played at a small school, now playing against elite athletes similar to himself? He's an elite athlete at 265 pounds. Yeah. In, in terms of growing to be more physical and understanding the game and the game slowing it down, is this an, is this an abnormal path that it's taking to this point? Or is, is this know, something we need to probably just let go and let it play out for him? No, I think you need to let go and let it play out because remember, remember, go all the way back to when players go to go to college. There are different circumstances on why they end up 
in college, at a certain college. And then things happen in college, maybe a growth spurt, uh, you know, put on a lot of weight. Maybe it clicks for them uh, where it, it, it didn't, and, and, and big-time colleges saw that and didn't recruit them. There's a number of reasons sometimes players don't end up at the Power Fives. We think they do because of the way they start to play in the NFL. They're like, oh, my God, how'd you miss that in college? You know, you grab, you grab this guy from Tulsa. You know, why was it he at Alabama or one of the, you know, well, some, some things happen when you're 17, 18 years old, you're getting recruited, and then more things happen when you go 18 to 22. You know, where, where from the mental, mental side, the physical side, you just pick it up. We've seen players forgetting even Division One. You know, FCS schools come in and pick up the game incredibly well. It's just sometimes the path that they're on and when it clicks for them. I'm amazed at his size. You don't see backers this big much anymore. Right. I mean, we'd see Ray Lewis, you know, was big like that. And others that were good size when Erlacher went from safety, then came to linebacker. He was a big linebacker. Guys are smaller now, so they can really run sideline to sideline. So when you get a guy that's a little bigger and could do those type of things, man, that that is something. But back to your point, that's something you just let go. There are reasons things happen for college. You know, sometimes uh, who knows? Again, who knows what they are? But it doesn't surprise me. It, not every guy that clicks in the NFL, you automatically think, oh, that's a, that's a power five guy. All right, a couple more uh, related to you, and then uh, we'll, we'll get you out of here. Not many people realize you're in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. You were an incredible wrestler growing up. Were you a better wrestler than football player? Meaning if champion state champion wrestlers in high school had the same opportunities to excel – and you know, continue in their sport. Uh, could you have done that? Well, first, the, the 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 wrestling hall of fame. I'm in there as what they call a great American, um, because I, I've I've staunchly defended wrestling all the time during my shows and such. I I was a good wrestler, not a great wrestler. My brother Bob. My brother Bob was, was, a, was a great wrestler. I'll say this. I loved wrestling as much as football by far. And to answer your question, if there was the, the equivalent of, to go in wrestling, I don't know. I, there, there's, a, there, there's a chance I may have done that. I loved wrestling, loved it. My, like I said, my brother Bob finished fourth in the nation. And we both wrestled at Notre Dame as well. He was fourth in the nation his sophomore year, third his junior year. He was ranked number one his senior year, but he hurt his knee in the Cotton Bowl, the famous chicken soup game when Notre Dame played Houston at the Cotton Bowl when it was freezing cold out. And he hurt his knee in that game, so he didn't wrestle because he was getting ready for the draft. And he, he wanted to try for the Olympics, the 80 Olympics, which it turns out we boycotted anyway, but he was drafted in 79, and back then you couldn't be a two-sport person and be in the Olympics. So he was a much better wrestler than I was, but I loved wrestling easily as much as football. And, and I mean, I, I'll, I'll watch it when it's on TV. And so I, I don't know if I can really all out just say I would have chosen that over football, but I would have thought long and hard if there was an equivalent professional rank, you know, uh, to, to, to kind of follow in the, in the wrestling pattern, because it is, I mean, man, it's one-on-one, Dave. I mean, it's one-on-one. It's you and somebody else. There are no excuses. There are no teammates to help you out. It is you and that person you're wrestling. I mean, to me, it is the ultimate. 
Well, first of all, you are a great American, so perhaps that just everybody knows you're a great American, so automatically <laughs> that's the title you get when you go into the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Did you? Uh, I appreciate that. Did, did you ever consider you know, pro wrestling the way it is, or does that cheapen high school and college wrestling, which is real wrestling as opposed to the theatrics? Oh, no, no, no. It doesn't cheapen at all. It's different. It, it, it's not trying to say we're you know a, a different we're ancillary to wrestling they're completely different i mean it's i love you know pro wrestling wwe and all that hell i i remember watching the, the first wrestlemania way 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 back when i was a huge fan of wrestling um in all honesty i don't know if i was athletic enough to do what they do flying off the ropes flipping off the ropes jumping off ladders and cages i mean it's incredible athletically what they have to do but no, I never. I was. I always knew that was just completely different. They weren't trying to be regular wrestling, and regular wrestling wasn't trying to be them. And then you look at, you know, where there was a great outlet for wrestling. It's something I wouldn't have done because there's something about getting kicked in the face I don't really like. Wrestlers did really well in MMA, yeah, because they could go in and they could use their takedown skills, get a guy on the mat, and then pummel them, you know, into submission. So the wrestlers, that, that became a pretty good outlet for them because they really didn't have any other outlet, you know, unless they had the theatrics, you know, to go into um, um, uh, WWE yeah. and, and that kind of wrestling. They'd go into MMA, and they would perform really well. You mentioned your brother Bob. Did you consider acting at all? Because Bob was in, well, he was in a lot of things, but one I remember, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s was Saved by the Bell. Although I think he was in was it Saved by the Bell the college years that he was Saved the, by the Bell the, the college years. He was, he was, he was like it, I, the RA, right? Yeah, ironically his name was Mike in that. It was Mike oh, Rogers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I I never pursued and no, not not like Bob like Bob because Bob finished with the Raiders when they were in LA. Uh so Bob made a lot of contacts out there and he wanted to stay out there and give acting a try and he got that and then after that nothing really happened. He ended up going back to Cleveland. But I, I never really, never really looked at that and said, I'm going to pursue this. Right when I got out of uh, the NFL, I retired in 94, and the next year, 95, I was doing college games for ESPN and ABC, and I was doing the Jacksonville, just came into the league. I was their uh, TV analyst for preseason games. So I jumped right into that. Uh, you know, Greeny and I ended up being on, on, a, on a, the Guiding Light, an episode, um, ESPN had that, what was that one? They had that one show players or something like that. I can't yeah. remember what it was called. We were, we were in an episode of that. So I did it. We did a, I did a few things here and there, but it was nothing, nothing I really pursued. All right. Last one. Uh, since you live in South Bend, give me your take on Notre Dame and what's going on there. They've had a couple of, uh, head scratchers this year. Well, they have, I mean, you know, first, Marcus Freeman is he's 36. I mean, my God, it's unbelievable. So it was a weird situation with Brian Kelly leaving. I don't begrudge a guy for leaving. I mean, it's, it's their right to do that. What was weird was that never happens at Notre Dame. Usually a Notre Dame coach is fired or retires. Brian Kelly chose to leave for whatever his reasons were. Money's certainly one of them. And the only thing missing from his resume is a national championship, and he felt he had a more consistent chance to get it there. We'll see at LSU. But Marcus Freeman is a phenomenal guy, a fantastic recruiter. All the players are buying in, so everybody loves him, but even he knows. We, we chat a decent amount, and even he knows. It's like, it doesn't mean anything if I don't win. I yeah. mean, it, it's big-time college ball. It comes down to wins and losses. 
I think there may have been an over-expectation, even maybe in the rankings when they were preseason number five. They had a quarterback who, who didn't play much last year. They didn't really have any veteran wide receivers who had done a ton. They had the best tight end in the game uh, between him and, and Bowers, a kid from Georgia. They're the two best. The O-line, you had a couple of young guys at tackles, but they did get Harry Heastan, their, their O-line coach, back. But it was going to take some time. Defensively, you get Al Golden in, so it's a, while it's somewhat similar, it's still a different scheme. So I, I think the, a mistake I made was I thought they would hit the ground running a lot faster than they did. And learning, you know, they have, they have to grow a little bit. And then, what, a game, two games in, you lose your quarterback. Now you're on your backup quarterback. So I think it's going to take time to develop through the year. And hopefully by the time they get to the Clemsons and the USC's of the world that they're really hitting their stride later in the season. But I, I, do, I do think there's going to be some good things going for Marcus just because kids want to play for him. His recruiting classes, the next couple have been number one, number two, or number three. So you let those guys come in, get acclimated to the program, and, and see where it can take you. We had them last year at Virginia. Obviously, Brian Kelly was still the head coach. But in talking with Marcus Freeman, uh, he, and we when he was at Cincinnati, same thing, would have a production meeting with him. Really impressive guy. Excellent yep. recruiter. I, I think it's just a matter of time. People got to give him some time. Uh, I was gonna, I was gonna let you go, but I gotta ask you one more because I, I was just thinking about this because this movie was on. You know how they on some of the airlines they cycle through old movies and, and put them on. And right. Rudy, Rudy is is on one of the airlines. I can't remember which one it's on. But do people think about Rudy in South Bend the way us outsiders think about Rudy because? It's a beloved movie for people that maybe aren't close to the program. What, what's it like for people in South Bend? Do they revere it the same way we do, I guess is my question. No, I, I, no, I don't think they do. Listen, it's an inspirational story, but I think it's more, you know, people here know the story. I think it's more for those that don't know the story and get moved by it. Now, I will say it was Hollywooded up a little bit as well. So that's another thing, because my brother Bob was a freshman. And my brother Bob, when he was a freshman, he was, he was a starter on the defense. So Bob was here that year of Rudy. And while the story of him getting into school and all the work he did and, and gutting everything out on the football field, a lot of it obviously is true, but it, it was Hollywooded up a little bit. So some of us that know all that kind of went on, you know, you kind of say, well, okay, I get it. You know, it's Hollywood. They got to kind of spruce it up a little bit. But again, to your point, it's not as awe like wow here as it is everywhere else when, when people see sure, it for the first sure. time. Well, listen, man, I knew I could ask you anything and you'd have a great answer. And for people that uh, I, I I think I understood after working with you for a year, even though, again, we didn't get to really see each other, but we talked a bunch and then spent some time together last year. I can understand why you were so successful and likable on the air. And people just and I noticed that when I was with you on some of the Westwood games and also doing college games with you, like all the coaches wanted to talk to you because I think. That's one of the reasons why people have successful shows because their personality gets to a point where um, real life comes through. And you saw that with you every day and your family. And and it's just one of those things where I think when you're real on the air, people see that and they gravitate to you. And I noticed that just working with you. So I really appreciate that about you, Mike. You're, you're great at what you do. And thanks so much for spending some time with us, man. Oh, my pleasure. And listen, I got to thank my kids, and they're still trying to get money out of me because I told them at a young age when I did the radio and TV, I'm using them as content. They will be <laughs> talked about good and bad for laughs. So I made sure I did that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Thanks again, Mike. Catch up soon, man. 
Thanks, Dave. I knew we would be able to cover a variety of subjects with Mike, and he would have a great take on all of them, including being a grandfather and not having to change diapers anymore. You could tell just listening to Mike, his post-ESPN life, things are going great, involved in a lot of different things, including calling Sunday night games for Westwood One. He did the Tampa Bay game the other night and also discussed his thoughts on his days with the Philadelphia Eagles playing with Reggie White, his take on Jalen Hurts and the current Eagles. Like me, he thinks right now the Eagles are the best team in the NFL. And like me, he's not sure what to make of the Cardinals through four games. But the good news is, the Cardinals are 2-2. Two and two. They haven't played their best football. Maybe the second half of the Carolina game is a springboard to starting to look like the team we saw the first half of 2021. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. Please go to your podcast platform and rate us. We'd also like to hear about future guests you'd like to hear from on the show give us your thoughts on your podcast platform you can also follow us on twitter at Pashpod. our thanks to broadcasting legend mike golick for his time and thanks again to you for listening to another edition of the dave pash podcast